Well, good morning, Christchurch. And before I start to talk this morning, just let's say a short prayer. Lord Jesus, may the words of my lips and the thoughts of all our hearts be always acceptable to you. Amen. Well, today we're going to continue looking at our studying Luke's Gospel, and we've been looking at it over the last few months, and in particular those occasions that are not recorded in any of the other Gospels. And today we look at the passage after the resurrection, and this concerns two followers of Jesus who are not his disciples. And our theme today is burning hearts. So what happened during this work, walk that changed two disheartened followers into important witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus? Have you ever looked for something around your house, maybe your car keys or your glasses, only to discover after a long and frustrating search that they were right there in your hand or your pocket or even on your face? We have an uncanny ability to miss the obvious sometimes. And I would like to look at the journey of Cleopas and his companion this morning and reflect on how their despair and disappointment was changed to hope and elation into a burning heart. It's a very familiar story to us and follows on from the events of that first Easter morning. Some of those terrible deeds would certainly describe Cleopas and his companion as they walked along the road to Emmaus. They certainly would have felt disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, discourage and despair. Emmaus is a town about seven miles west of Jerusalem, so they have a good couple of hours walk in front of them. The festival of the Passover is open and they leave the downhearted and afraid band of disciples who are still afraid for their lives over what had happened to Jesus on that Good Friday. Their initial high hopes as they entered Jerusalem had been cruelly dashed and the master they had followed had been horribly put to death, a cruel and degrading death on a cross. And Jesus had been made a public spectacle their hopes had been dashed and their dream was over. They also left Jerusalem with confusion. They had heard the reports of the woman that Jesus' tomb was empty, but they did not have the knowledge to know what this meant. Cleopas and his friend were among, not among the close twelve, but they were certainly close followers of Jesus and his band of disciples. And they sum up their feelings when they say, We had hoped that we would be one who was going to set Israel free. Hope was an emotion that can take a lot of recovery if circumstances work against us and can be a very fragile emotion. When someone you love and care for is overtaken by serious illness, which goes on and on, despair can set in and it almost becomes impossible to hope for recovery. For non-believers, they even had to their despair that they have no hope for their eternal life. We have hoped, Cleopas and his friend had said. They had high hopes for the future, but now those hopes are gone and all we have left is disappointment. Can you identify with the feelings of those two, uh, two disciples in any way? For each of us, the chance of feeling sad may be different. But it would be a rare person indeed who could claim that they were not affected by any of those D words, disappointment and doubt. The stranger, the stranger they meet asks what they were discussing and they pour out their story to someone they seem willing to listen. 
they tell the stranger all about their hopes and their disappointments. And the stranger provides a listening ear. We know the stranger was Jesus, but that time they didn't. As Cleopas and his friend talk about the, the cross and their despair and sorrow, Jesus reassured them and helped them. He pointed out what God says in the Bible. Luke tells us Jesus explained to them what was said about himself in all the scriptures, beginning with the book of Moses and the writings of all the prophets. Jesus must have given them the best ever lesson in the Old Testament, reminding them of how sin came into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve, and how the prophets foretold of a saviour who would be obedient even to the point of death. No doubt he would have referred to Isaiah's description of a suffering servant of God, who was wounded for our bad transgressions. It's not that these men did not know their Bibles, but their understanding was clouded by the idea of a Messiah who would come in glory and power as a mighty political leader. The feelings of despondency and sorrow start to lift as their heart changed with the understanding of the stranger explained Jesus' death as a part of God's plan for salvation. So how can the events of this journey affect our lives? When doubt, depression and discouragement dominate our lives, Jesus walks with us as he walked with the two men on the road to Emmaus. He points out to God's words of promise in the Bible that tells us again he will stand by us through thick and thin, and he turns our despair into hope. I wonder if that's something like the shock of the two disciples felt when they finally realised who it was they'd been walking along the road to Emmaus. Why hadn't they recognised Jesus sooner? Why did it take them so long to catch on? Biblical commentators have come up with a number of interesting proposals to explain their difficulty. It was the blinding brightness of the sun in their eyes, or maybe Jesus looked strikingly different after his resurrection. I wonder if it was something as simple as the fact that they weren't expecting to see Jesus walking along beside them three days after his death. Because we're not expecting to see them in that context, it can take our brains a minute to catch up with our eyes. So I wonder how long would it take me to notice that someone I last saw in having died was sitting beside me on that bus or the train. Or maybe it wasn't that simple. The text also says that their eyes were kept from recognising Jesus at first and that later their eyes were opened. An extraordinary act of God could well be tucked behind that passive voice. That hidden agent who first keeps them from seeing and then allows them to see all. After all, how else could we explain Jesus' quick disappearing act as soon as the two disciples finally do recognise him? But whatever the reasons for their lack of recognition, visually speaking, there's also a deeper recognition issue at play. Notice how much Jesus makes of the lack of understanding demonstrated by Cleopas and his friend. He calls them foolish and speaks of their slowness to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Perhaps they'd misunderstood something fundamental about the nature and the role of their Messiah. They'd certainly have been in a good company if they found the news of the empty tomb hard to progress. Notice that attention develops as they wander down the road, and it arises because, according to early verses in the chapter, the report of the women had not convinced the disciples. Of course, Luke's congregations, hearing Luke's story, no resurrection has taken place. 
they and we comprehend a good deal more about what was happening than do Cleopas and his companion. We want to tell them, climb upon the stage and whisper what we know to shout it, Christ is risen. He's standing right there behind you. But of course, the two disciples are as deaf to our cries as they are blind to the identity of their companion on the road. Until, and notice what it is finally prompting their understanding. When Jesus does something as ordinary as sitting down at a meal and breaking bread with them, then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. Sitting around a dinner table together, we've been in a very familiar setting for the two of them who encountered Jesus along that road. So I don't think it's at all coincidental that it was there that they had their ha-ha moment. It may be that familiarity in this simple action that struck a chord deep within them and triggered recognition. What is it that triggers recognition in us, here and now? What is it that makes us aware of Christ's present in this place? It doesn't need to be anything fancy or complicated. It can be the simplest things. A prayer, a favourite Bible verse, or a familiar song. A splash of water on someone's forehead. An ordinary looking loaf of bread. And a pitcher of wine sitting on a table. Remember that Jesus had already lectured at some length on the many references to him throughout the scriptures, and it wasn't that he hadn't presented the material, but the two disciples didn't actually recognise who he was and what he was saying until he sat down with them and broke bread at the table. An ordinary act to begin an ordinary meal in an ordinary house. Nothing fancy, just a simple meal. And it was then that they recognised their Lord. And although these two disciples didn't seem to have been with the twelve at the Last Supper, Luke certainly invites his readers to reflect on that and other important meal at this point in the story. The phrase, the breaking of the bread, becomes a catchword for the regular celebration of the Lord's Supper in the early church. And as Luke's Gospel story continues in its sequel, the Act of the Apostles. The good news in today's text is that in spite of their foolishness, their slowness of heart, and their mistaken expectations, the two disciples who walked with Jesus from Jerusalem to Emmaus finally were able to recognise him. Their eyes were opened, and Luke says their hearts burned within them. One preacher talks about how Jesus transformed these two disheartened people, turning weak hearts into burning hearts, ablaze with the good news of the gospel. And at the moment the stranger reveals who he was, he vanishes from their sight. But he is not gone. He's still visible to those who have the eyes of faith. But just a couple more observations about our passage this morning. First, this is one of a handful of stories we find at the end of the Gospels about the resurrected Christ having something to eat. And this is significant because it shows that after he had died, he came back in such a way that he was able to ingest food. And the Gospel authors wanted to make clear that the disciples hadn't seen a ghost. Jesus was back in the flesh. And later in the same chapter in Luke's Gospel, we find him eating a piece of broiled fish. In John, he cooks fish on the beach. And here in Emmaus, he sits down to dinner and breaks bread. 
That the disciples continue to have dinner with Jesus following his resurrection is not coincidental, but actually quite significant to the story and the evidence. And finally, I'm intrigued by the identity of the two disciples in our passage today. You may have been a little surprised that Jesus appears to a couple of second or third rate disciples here. The fact that only Cleopas is mentioned by name and that he's not identified anywhere else in the Gospels has puzzled reasons for generations. Some of the more intriguing suggestions are that Luke himself was Cleopas's friend. Unfortunately, none of this can be proven from the text. But how fascinating that Jesus would appear for the first time after his resurrection, according to Luke anyway, not to the twelve disciples or even to the women who went to the tomb, but to two of his lesser-known followers. For it reminds us that the way of the discipleship is open to each one of us. And it may be strange to you, but Christ will open your mind to understand his word, the word that is to be a light to your path, and his holy meal will sustain you on your journey. Why me, you may say? Well, Jesus isn't looking for a superman or woman. He's looking for an ordinary person, open-hearted men and women, to receive God's gifts of grace, forgiveness and love, and then to pass them on to others. We can all experience those times when we have the disappointment and doubts and discouragement in our lives. But let's remember we are not walking alone. The unseen stranger, the risen Jesus, is walking with us. And may God grant to each of us, ordinary disciples, in some familiar moment, clarity of vision, and the holy heart burn that comes from an encounter with the risen Lord in our lives. Amen.